Father, your word tells us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Would you help us to receive your word now as the very sustenance for our souls, that the things that can prop up our faith at the moments when we are brought to our knees. Would you grant us the grace we need to live faithfully when our hearts are shaking and quaking and it feels like our faith is failing? Would you grant us these things by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I used to say, giant sequoias were too big to fall. But in these last few years, it's been pretty scary to see how many of them have been taken out. Uh, Those words were said by a man named Frank Dean. He's the president of a conservatory society out in California, specifically for giant sequoias. You may know those beautiful, very famous trees, uh, just majestic, that stand hundreds of feet tall. Some of them, they think, are even thousands of years old. It's a very rare thing for a giant sequoia to topple over. Yet, early this year, back in January, some high windstorms blew through the area. And not just one or two, but a total of 15 giant sequoias started shaking and then quaking and then ultimately failing and falling over. It's an unusual and terrifying thing to think of something so big and seemingly so sturdy that can fail altogether like that. You know, there's a spiritual lesson to be learned from shaking trees when it comes to the moments where we are brought to our knees. That's what Isaiah 7 shows us. Those sorts of moments where you're not sure how you're going to make it through. I remember being called into the emergency room to meet with a family. I was a mother who was absolutely distraught. Her troubled teenage son had had yet another episode, and this time it had gotten violent. He had taken things out on her, and the police had had to get involved. And as I sat with her, through sobs, she asked me, Pastor, I don't know how I can keep doing this. How do I go on? At moments when life makes your heart shake, and quake, and even when it feels like your faith is about to fail. Brothers and sisters, realize you are being faced with a question. Who will you trust? Who will you trust? That's the question that was put before a king of Judah named Ahaz. When his heart was shaking and quaking and his faith started failing, he was faced with the question of would he trust God? Or would he trust someone else? We're we're in a series that's designed to show us how all of Scripture shows us of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And, And in this series, we find that even texts hundreds of years before Jesus show us of the coming of the Savior and are designed to bolster our faith in him. This morning, we will see from the example of a faithless king that we can have faith in a faithful God. And as we do so, we will see the sign that was given of the Son from heaven. 
Come with me on this journey. But first we look at a royal failure of faith. A royal failure of faith. Second, we will see the divine sign of a son. The divine sign of a son. And third, we'll see the God that is with us. The God that is with us. Let's begin in that first one. The royal failure of faith. King Ahaz was king over Judah. He lived at a time that was dangerous and difficult. It was called the divided kingdom. The kingdom of Israel had been cut in two after Solomon's splendor had faded long since into the background. Ten tribes to the north were called Israel. The two lonely tribes to the south were called Judah. Ahaz was king during a time when there was a new bully on the block, the terrible kingdom and empire of Assyria. Pretty quickly, it was obvious that Assyria was not going to be a benevolent sort of bully on the block. They were always grabbing, biting, looking for someone more to devour, expanding their borders at the expense of the nations around them. And so pretty quickly, the nations realized that they were the small fish in what turned out to be a very big pond. That resulted in some alliances being formed. That kingdom to the north of Israel teamed up with one of their normal enemies, Syria, and said, we're going to take on the big bad bully, Assyria, on together. I mean, two against one's better odds, right? Well, as they thought about it, they realized, you know, actually, you know what's even better than two against one? Three against one. So they sent a message to the king of Judah, the south, and said, we're going to need you to join us in our fight against Assyria. Well, Ahaz didn't like that idea. So he told them no. But it turns out they weren't asking. They were telling. So when he refused, they responded by sending their armies south. Two armies, much bigger and more capable than his, marching inevitably toward Ahaz in his capital city of Jerusalem. That's the setting of Isaiah 7. And the first two verses show us the way that King Ahaz responds. Verse 1 of chapter 7, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but, but, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Ahaz looked out and saw these two great foes coming toward him. And what was his reaction? It was for his heart to shake and quake and his faith to begin to fail. And as the heart of the king began failing, so did the heart of the people. There was no saving them from this. No one was coming to their aid. This was a hopeless situation. And yet, at this very moment, Ahaz is not just faced with an impossible military dilemma. He is faced with a question. Who will he trust? 
God sends his prophet Isaiah to bring his words to Ahaz. Uh, Verse 3 all the way to verse 9 are that message. He comes to Ahaz and tells him, Ahaz, don't fear, don't worry. Those two armies, those two kings that are coming for your head, they're not going to succeed. Their plan will not come to pass. They're going to be blown away like a tree blown over in the wind. Before you know it, they will be gone. But Ahaz, you have to trust me. Look at how he ends his message at the end of verse 9. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, Ahaz, if if you don't have faith in me, you really, you have nothing. So what's it going to be, Ahaz? Will you trust me? When our hearts, like shaking trees, are brought to our knees, when it seems like everything that we have found trust and security in is being taken from us, realize that we are being faced with the same very question. Will we trust God? God is asking you, will you trust me when you lose your job? God is asking, will you trust me when you lose your spouse or when you lose your house? He is asking, will you trust me when you see your body beginning to fail or when you feel your mind beginning to slip? Will you trust me? It's the question each and every one of us must face when our hearts start shaking and quaking. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, was very familiar with this dynamic. He was a man who dealt with much physical suffering. He was a a nearly lifelong sufferer of gout at a time when they didn't have good treatment for it. He, He suffered greatly with pain that no doctor could really alleviate. He also suffered in his mind. He had uh, bouts of what he called the preacher's fainting fits, almost assuredly what we would call depression. Charles Spurgeon was a man whose heart many times felt like it was failing. And yet, he found the strength to put his faith in God. This week, when our family was being shaken, someone sent me a quote from Spurgeon. He said, It is a blessed thing when the waves of affliction wash upon the rock of the confidence in God alone. It's a blessed thing when the waves of affliction wash us upon the rock of the confidence of God alone. Brothers and sisters, I I don't know what particular difficulties you may be facing this Mother's Day morning, but whatever it is, that's causing your heart to shake and quake and even to make your faith feel like it's failing. You are being asked by God, will you trust me? Now, I wish I could tell you that Ahaz responded well to this test. But unfortunately, he did not. So by way of a negative contrast, we will learn from his example of how we need to put our faith in God we'll learn from his failure of how our God is trustworthy. And the way that Ahaz was presented with this question is the way that we will have confidence ourselves. That's our second point. 
the divine sign of a son in verses 11 through 17. Now Ahaz was given what is undoubtedly an incredible opportunity. You might say the opportunity of a lifetime. God tells him to pick a sign, any sign, to prove his reliability. In verse 10, again, the Lord said to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. That is saying, Ahaz, you've got a blank check of faith here. You can ask me for anything. It it could be all the way up from heaven itself. It could be down into the grave. Miracles are on the table here, Ahaz. Just ask. Now, to be clear, God does not owe any of us a miracle to prove himself. You cannot demand of God a miracle. And yet so often, God in his gracious kindness to us, he gives us things that we can tangibly hold on to to show that our faith is rooted in someone that is real and reliable. We just heard the testimony of one of our own church members who recovered from cancer. I hope we never get tired of hearing those miraculous stories of God bringing healing to our bodies. Uh, I once met a man who told me that he came to faith in an unusual way. He was a young man with kids at home and a young wife when he was given the prognosis of terminal cancer. He was admittedly a man of no faith at the time. He didn't think much of God. He certainly didn't have a personal relationship with him. But his heart shook. And in that moment, he went looking for someone that was reliable. Someone left him a tract in his hospital room. He read that tract. Then he found himself a Bible. And he started reading, and pretty soon, he was trusting in Jesus Christ. And the most amazing thing happened. His cancer went into unexpected remission. He said from that day forward, he dedicated his life to telling people about his Savior, Jesus Christ, and telling them about the miracle that God did to extend his life. He even had a pamphlet that he had been handing out for over three decades by the time I met him. Now, to be clear, God does not owe us a sign like that. We cannot demand of God a sign. But if God offers us a sign, what does it say about us if we refuse it? That's precisely what Ahaz does. Verse 13, uh, verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, Ahaz puts a pious spin on it. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6, a text saying, don't demand of God signs. But he does that for the justification for ignoring an offer of God for a sign. In essence, what he is saying is, God, I'm not interested in you proving yourself to me. God, I don't want to have my faith put in you. Why would someone refuse an offer of faith like this? Well, it's because Ahaz had already found a place for his faith to rest. He had already decided that he was going to appeal to the big bad bully on the block, Assyria. He was going to pay tribute to the very one that was a threat to all of them and give him gold out of the temple to the king of Assyria in the hopes that he might spare little old Judah. He had no room in his heart to trust the God of Israel. 
And as a result, he had no room for God to do a miracle even to prove himself. What a sad place it is to be, to not even want to believe when God offers to prove himself to you. Well, as a result, we see that God shifts. He shifts from talking to Ahaz as one, his king, one that is in right relationship to talking to Judah, going right around their king. Look at the way Isaiah responds, verse 13. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Instead of talking to Ahaz the way he had earlier, talking about the Lord your God, now he talks about my God. It's clear that God has moved on from Ahaz. And inevitably, judgment will fall on his nation as a result. And yet, God has a message for his people. God will not abandon them. God is still trustworthy, and he will give them a sign, even as Ahaz refused it. He will give it to them instead. A sign that they could trust God when their heart shakes and quakes, and their faith begins to fail. He will give them the sign of a son. And that brings us to the verses that are so familiar to us at Christmas time. The verse of a virgin that will conceive and bear a son whose name will be Emmanuel. Now, th this is one of those times when you're reading your Bible, when you actually have to be careful about running too quickly to Jesus's arrival and to the cross. Yes, in, that's an important part of what we will do, but hold off for just a second. Because this sign is given to a particular people at a particular point when they needed encouragement to trust God. And that means we had to understand what the sign meant to them before we can connect the dots to what it means to us in the coming of Jesus. Isaiah tells of a virgin the word in Hebrew for that in verse 14 is Alma. It is a broader term than our word virgin. You might, the, about the best you can approximate it to is the word damsel. It's an unmarried woman who is presumed to be sexually chaste. It certainly can mean virgin, but it's broader than that. So this, this damsel will conceive and she will have a son. And that son will serve as a sign to God's people. As they watch that son grow, they will be able to know something about God. That God is trustworthy. And most importantly, that God is with them. The name given to him is telling. In Isaiah, very often names carry very specific meanings. The name Emmanuel will later in the book be defined as meaning God with us. They will watch a young boy be born and grow. And before the days where he can grow an awkward teen mustache, they will be able to see these two rival nations swept away by the hand of their God. They'll watch Syria and Israel be defeated, and they will know on that day that God keeps his promises to his people and that they can trust him. Now, who is that boy that they saw born? 
Frankly, I don't know for sure. It might be Isaiah's son in chapter 8, verse 1, who goes by the name of Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Now, if you don't have a reason to thank your mother today, you can thank her for giving you a better name than that. And that name, by the way, is laden with meaning. It means to speed the spoil. In other words, God's people are going rotten. And as he grows, you can watch the, the rot speed up. Now, as they watched whoever this boy was grow, their ability to have their faith rooted in a, con- uh, a faithful God grew as well. His life was a lesson that God can be trusted, especially at the moments when your heart shakes and quakes and it feels like your faith will fail. Well, that's all well and good for them. But what about for us? Uh, I don't know about you. I haven't met Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. How can our faith be strengthened in the moments where our hearts shake and quake and it feels like our faith is failing? Well, that's where the connection to Christ comes in. And our final point this morning, the God that is with us. Because it turns out that even as Isaiah wrote down these words, intending a, a very specific sign in this significance to the people in his day, that there's another author at work, the Holy Spirit, who was looking for a day beyond Ahaz in Assyria to the day of a young girl named Mary and a son that would be born as a sign to us all. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 through 23 We're at the point in the story where Joseph has discovered the scandal of Mary being pregnant before their wedding day. He's about to cut her loose when the angel shows up and tells him this this isn't her being unfaithful. She is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Then Matthew interjects that this is a fulfillment of the words that Isaiah spoke. Matthew 1, 22 through 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What's better than a damsel who gets pregnant just like God said? Well, a true virgin who conceives by the Holy Spirit. What's better than a child that serves as a sign that as you watch him grow, you can know that God is trustworthy? Well, a baby that would grow and show himself to be both God and man mysteriously united in the man Jesus Christ. A man that would grow to defeat God's enemies. Not by way of a conquering army or with swords or spears, but by giving his life as a sacrifice for sins. A man that would bring us into a forever relationship with God. A man that in his very person would show us that God truly is with us. You see, in the coming of Jesus Christ and his birth in Bethlehem, we have been given the sign of a son. Proof that when life gets to its hardest, when you are brought to your knees and you've been shaking and quaking and your faith is about to fail, that you can trust God. 
You can trust him today and you can trust him with your eternity. We have been given a baby so that we can believe and so that our hearts can trust God in the hardest moments in life. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. I wonder if this year you have found yourself shaking and quaking in your heart. Maybe some of the things that you used to think were utterly reliable have shown themselves to be anything but. Maybe you frankly don't have answers how it's going to be okay. Friend, could it be that God is trying to get your attention to ask you, would you put your faith somewhere that it's actually secure? Would you trust me? The Bible teaches us that our biggest problem is not a global pandemic or an empty bank account or the failure of our bodies. Our biggest problem is our sin before a holy God. That left to our own, we would be hopeless before the coming judgment of God. But the good news is that the holy God that will judge us all is also a God of love and mercy. And he sent his son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. Jesus, in his person, took the sins of the world. He was punished in the place of sinners like you and me. So that if you put your trust in him, you could be saved from the wrath of God. And yes, you can even be assured that you will live forever with him. Friend, if you don't have that security, if your heart has not found a place to put your faith that is indestructible. Today, you can have that if you'll come to know God through Jesus Christ. If you don't know how to do that, come talk with me after the service. I would love to introduce you to Jesus the way I know him. Now, it's telling that this salvation that we believers in Jesus Christ have come to experience and enjoy comes to us through the birth of a son. On Mother's Day, it's fitting for us to honor the earthly mothers that God has given us. Praise God for each and every one of them. Now, motherhood is not for the faint of heart. Uh, if you're a mother here today, you have sacrificed much to give life to a child and to raise them up, to teach them what it means to be an adult. And if you're a Christian, to nurture them and bring them up in the faith. Motherhood is one of those proving grounds that so often brings you to your knees and shows you that you are not sufficient to these things in yourself. So to the mothers here this morning, realize the question that your parenting brings each and every time you find your heart shaking and quaking. Will you trust God? Yes, even with your children. I recognize also that Mother's Day is a difficult day for many. Sometimes it's not the rearing of children that's difficult. It's that the absence of them causes our hearts to shake and quake. Maybe it's a strained relationship with your mother. Maybe it's the loss of a child or a mother. Maybe it's the desire for a marriage and a family that the Lord has not seen fit to grant you at this juncture in life. Realize at this moment, maybe even one where you feel like your faith is failing, you have a question to answer. Will you trust him? 
has his sending of his son proved himself to you so that you can trust him, yes, even in this difficult thing? To all of us here this morning, I hope you are convinced that your heart has all the proof it needs to put your faith in God when life brings you to your knees. What more perfect of a sign could he have given you than to send his only son to live and die and come back to life so you could know that he is utterly trustworthy. Whatever trial you may be walking through, whatever thing may be causing your heart to shake and quake, would you answer that question with words of faith? God, I trust you. No matter what happens, no matter what you ask me to walk through, I trust you and I know you are reliable. God, grant me the grace to be faithful through this hard thing. Brothers and sisters, quite frankly, this has been a very hard week, a hard two weeks in the Johnston household. Uh, thank you for so many of you that have sent encouraging texts and prayed and found very tangible ways to prop up our family. Two Mondays ago, we had no clue that we were about to enter a moment of testing, that our hearts would be shaking and quaking, and it would feel like our faith was failing. I remember sitting in the ER with Precious. And she was just in incredible pain. The doctors had no idea what it was at that point, and they certainly didn't have any way to relieve her of the pain for a very long time. And we were asking ourselves these questions. Can we trust our God in this moment? Will he show himself reliable? As Precious was laying on the gurney, she very softly asked me to read the words to a hymn. He giveth more grace. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplied peace. Brothers and sisters, when your heart shakes and quakes and it feels like your faith will fail, when you're being asked if you will trust him, would you remember the sign of the son given to you? Would you look to the man, Jesus Christ, and the grace that is yours through him? And would you know that you can trust him with whatever may come? That he is utterly reliable. And you are in the best hands. The hands of the one who made us all and who holds us all. Let's pray.